Hey, it's Rachel, one of the producers here on High Low with Emrata. This week, we put together some of our favorite clips from the Talkback episodes. You've probably heard Emily mention them before, but we do these every week. Emily responds to voice notes, questions, comments, whatever's on your mind. So here's a taste of some of the best Talkback moments. And make sure to stick around until the end of the episode to find out who is going to be in the High Low hot seat next week. Stay tuned for more High Low with Emrata. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. Here is Sophie from Pennsylvania. Hey, Emily. This is Sophie from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I just listened to your episode on friendship breakups, and it really resonated with me. I'm actually going through one right now with a former roommate who decided to move out early from our apartment over our various disagreements. And I I don't really regret what happened, and I do think it was for the best in the end, but I can't help feeling like I failed somehow in the friendship. And I was wondering if you had any advice for sort of patching the hole of that loss of a former roommate or best friend. I know you said this hasn't happened to anyone close to you in your life before, but I just wanted to know if you had advice sort of on how to make my home feel less empty without her now. Like, how do I find joy in these spaces of loss again? Oh, thank you so much for sharing that with us. I mean, this is not probably the answer you want, but what I have found, and I think I brought this up in the episode about um, friendship breakups is grief. Grieving is a... It's something we all, nobody really wants to experience, but you're going to grieve no matter what, whether if you try to change the whole space in your apartment and make it like she never lived there, whatever, you're still going to have to face the grief. And it sounds like you are grieving right now and that there is a hole in your life and that there are things about this friend breakup that, you know, you want to reflect on, I think are probably really painful. And I'm so sorry that you're going through that. But I also think this is what you have to do is like marinate in it a little bit and let time pass and let, you know, your heart and all those things you were talking about. It's really okay to know that something is ending. That was also and that, you know, it's all kind of meant to be and for the best, but also know that there were things about that relationship that were really good and you'll never have them again necessarily. Um, And that's tough. Like, I hate that, you know? I wish it was, I wish the world was so black and white that it was easy to be like, oh, that person no longer belongs in our life. And again, I think that speaks to that kind of like toxic therapy culture we're really obsessed with right now that I'm kind of interested in talking about. But I don't think that that's, of course, an easy out, but that isn't the reality. So my advice to you is to grieve the friendship, to think about the lessons you can take from it for yourself about you said you there's things that were handled, whatever. Think about those things because you don't need to 
beat yourself up. Get clarity around it and what you could have done, what they could have done. And um, just let let some time pass and take care of yourself. Do the things that make you feel grounded. And um, whether that be like sitting on TikTok or watching rom-coms or going out with your other friends, whatever. And just allow for there to be some sadness around the relationship. Here's a submission from Amara. Hi, Emily. So I'm Amara. I'm 33. I'm English. I have done OnlyFans since 2018. I was one of the first, or certainly one of the earlier earlier women to use the to use the platform. And I have worked in the sex industry previously. When I was at university, I was a stripper. I could fight for for or against sex work. It's a really really thin line, but that's based on personal feelings. So when I was younger, I had a huge need for people to know that I had a master's degree and that I was intelligent and that I wasn't just a stripper or I wasn't just this. So I think there's a lot of internal, I guess, shame, you could say, around being a sex worker and having the brains to do other things. So I have had a successful business, which I sold in 2018. And after selling that, I had real no real reason to work. And that's when I started OnlyFans. I had a small platform on social media. And from that, I made a considerable amount of money and still do. And again, it's one of those things where I'm in my early 30s now. I'm also single, I should say. There's real mental pressure around wanting to be respected by people and also not giving a fuck what people think. So... It's a really interesting, I find sex work fascinating. I was listening to your Mia Khalifa podcast just before and the age of consent or the age of consent for the industry, I absolutely agree with. I think as an 18 year old, getting into hardcore, potentially hardcore pornography and not really understanding the the damaging effects that can have, I can see that being a huge problem in five or 10 years. And like Mia was saying, sex sex industry will never die. Like, it will always exist. So, yeah, that's my little insight. I'm very grateful to have a platform and to make the sort of money that I do make. So, yeah, and I love your podcast and it's absolutely amazing. Thank you so much, Amara, for submitting. I think it's really interesting, the idea of age and sex work. And yeah, touched on this when she was talking about working in the sex industry when you're really young is so dangerous but then you know as you get older the kind of like pressure you feel to potentially settle down all of that i think it's really tough i think that whatever partner you're with needs to respect your hustle and what you do for a living so to me there should be no conflict there i of course understand the pressure you feel but any anybody who deserves to be with you and is actually enlightened person they they should be so impressed by the the living that you've that you've built and the world you've built that's i think it's really impressive and it's not easy either so i hope that you find someone like that who respects you for what you do okay we're gonna hear from maxine in south africa about approaching 30. Hey, Em, this is Maxine, all the way from Cape Town, South Africa. I read your book and I listened to every episode of your podcast. I absolutely love it. I think it is awesome for 
women and girls and anyone who just wants to be able to be educated and listen to stuff that a lot of podcasters are afraid to talk about. So my question that I thought would be really cool if you could, you know, give your opinion on is that horrible feeling of being in your approaching 30 and feeling like your life is completely not where you thought it would be. I'm not talking about relationships. I recently went back to studying and, you know, the degree that I'm trying to earn is extremely competitive and often it takes many years of applications and rejections to actually get there. And I kind of feel like I'm approaching 30 and <laughs> I might still have three years of rejections ahead of me. Um, what is your take on that? And do you have any tips on how to view that in a kind of less harsh and self-critical way? Thank you so much for sending in your voice memo, Maxine, all the way from South Africa. That's so exciting. I love thinking about people listening to this podcast all over the world. I'm just very honored and thank you for reading the book as well. So I have a lot of friends who are the same age as me who are still in school or have not figured out what the fuck they want to do with their lives, don't know how to marry their passion to their profession or just kind of are searching for a purpose or, you know, Babs, who was on the first episode of the podcast, like she's getting her master's right now and she made a choice to basically be slow with school because she wanted to experience life in other ways and whatever. But there's definitely moments where she's like, shit, I feel behind. And it's something we talk about a lot. And when I was approaching 30, I definitely felt that way, which is another thing like success is in your head. What you think is successful, what you think is quote unquote set up is so subjective. And I think that probably a lot of people would have said to me like, you've done it. You're so successful. You've done all these things. And I personally didn't feel at all, like I'd accomplished really anything. I felt, talk about self-critical, I was very hard on myself and was just kind of like, you're not even like doing anything really that great and whatever. And I think that realizing how subjective this stuff is, realizing that success and like the way we think about success in a professional capacity. And I just want to point out that it's hard out here right now. Like the economy is so scary. The world has changed so much and what our parents expected from life and from a career at 30 was very different than what we should be able to. And I don't have the stats in front of me, but I've read them before about people who are not able to find work after college. The economy and the, the marketplace is so different than it was. So judging yourself and being like, oh my God, I'm not where I should be. It's like, well, it's just not an individual problem. It's a global phenomenon and it's the way the world works now. And 30 is very different than it was 20 years ago as well. I think what you're going through is really normal. I think everyone I know has moments like that. People that you'd be shocked by, really successful people and people who also, you know, maybe they're still in school. They're still trying to figure out what they want. You will get there don't compare yourself to other people, as obvious as that sounds. And also be aware of the context of the the financial, you know, global market and the way that job security and jobs and all of that has changed so much. There's no pathway. There's no one pathway. And keep listening to the podcast.
Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. All right, we're going to hear from Nicole. She's asking about flirting while being in a relationship. Here's Nicole. Hi, Emily. My name is Nicole. I am a graduate student here in New York City, and I just wanted to know your thoughts on flirting while being in a relationship. For context, I am in a seven-year relationship with my partner, and I don't have a problem with flirting with other people. I am not jealous. I am really confident of our relationship, so I don't have a problem with that. So yeah, I just wanted to know your thoughts. And if you ever want to talk about environmental medicine or climate change from a graduate student, hit me up. Have a great day. Thank you so much, Nicole. I love when people tell me their expertise. I am saving your information. And when the day comes, we'd love to have you on. So flirting with the relationship. I mean, I think this goes back to the ethical non-monogamy episode that we did last week. I think that it's okay if, and I think that honestly connecting to other people and even having flirtations can be really healthy personally, but I think it's about what you and your partner decide is okay. I'm wondering if in your relationship, your partner feels differently about flirting than you do. You know, I think that there's a moment of talking about why you think flirting is okay, why you like to flirt if your partner feels differently than you and and finding a way so that you both can be happy, a middle ground saying to to your partner, like, this makes me feel alive. This makes me feel connected to other people. It has nothing to do with our relationship. But there are people who who do feel it's not necessarily about insecurity. They feel like that kind of flirting is a betrayal or a certain kind of flirting is a betrayal after reading the ethical slut and just talking to so many people uh, who are in E&M, I can't help but just think about the communication thing. And I think flirting is like not bad or unethical or problematic if both people in the relationship are on the same page about it. And there's kind of an understanding, a deep understanding of why you want to flirt or why the other person doesn't want you to flirt or whatever. And listen, I think long-term relationships flirting is natural for some people. That's like how they connect to other other people. For some people, they would never think to even, that's not how they connect to other people. So flirting isn't a part of their world. So I think it totally depends on the two people in the relationship and what they're comfortable with. And if your partner has a different philosophy or feelings around flirting, then communicating and finding a healthy balance is sort of the best route. Thank you so much for writing in. Okay, Cambria sent a voice memo about porn addiction. Hey, Amrata. My name is Cambria. And first off, I just want to say your podcast has just been giving me life lately. I'm 28 years old and I'm finding myself in this weird transition period in my life. And I have so many topics I want to talk about with you. But for now, I just have time to bring up one. The topic is porn addiction. And I think it's kind of a sensitive one to talk about because people have such extreme or mixed feelings about porn. Whether someone admits it or not, like, let's be honest, we all watch porn sometimes or have at some point. I'm not coming at this against it at all, but I think it's worth disgusting, disgusting, <laughs> discussing how much is too much and the side effects, quote unquote, that result in being addicted to it. And along with that, how much is too much? This has recently been a discussion I've been having with myself because months ago I discovered that my boyfriend has what I would consider to be an addiction to it. So I did a tiny bit of research on the topic and I found it can lead to problems 
I would have never imagined could come from porn addiction. Um, so here's what I found. These are the characteristics or results that can come from being addicted to porn. It can lead to mental health problems. It hinders day-to-day -day productivity, prohibits you from making goals, concentration problems, low self-esteem, low to zero energy, guilt and anxiety, social anxiety specifically, isolating yourself, neglecting important life areas, relationship issues, easily irritated, depression, self-entitlement, negative self-perceptions and compulsive lying can cause you to lose creativity, can cause financial issues, can cause you to be in, you know, infidelity. It can cause erectile dysfunction and can become a complete dependency like any other drug. And I found myself absolutely shocked because it described him and his characteristics slash problems to a T. And I just think it's something that needs to be talked about more. I wanna know what others' thoughts and opinions are on it. There are so many side conversations and topics I want to dive into that go with that, but I don't have time to for this little audio input. But like some things are like, are most men like this secretly? Like, and how it makes me as a woman and the girlfriend feel knowing he'd rather watch porn for hours and hours on end than just have sex with me. And like, we do have sex, but since he started again, it's just been different. I don't know. And I don't know how to bring it up to him. So it's just something I just want to hear from you and the people first and see like what is going on with that. How do we feel? Thank you for submitting your voice note. I really appreciate you listening to the podcast. And I think that I definitely want to do an episode on porn. It's something I've been thinking about with, honestly, with having a, a son and, and being a mom and introducing him to the internet and talking about sex and how I want to handle that because I've just heard too many stories about guys telling me about discovering porn really, really young and how it messed with them. And I think that the list of things that you, you talked about are, are very real. And porn addiction is super scary. I think that I have lots of things to say about porn separately than porn addiction. I think there is a way to watch porn and consume porn that's healthy. And mostly my my big thing around porn is like protecting the actors and the people that are in porn and making sure that there's consent and that they are happy about what they're doing and all the things that we know that it's safe and they're protected. That's one subject. Then I think consumption of porn is really personal and it can impact your sex life in a crazy, crazy way. I personally think that for me, I don't like to watch porn because, well, first of all, I have like my own feelings about the women in porn that I see and it doesn't turn me on very much because I'm like, that woman looks very unhappy and it's violent and that's just not the kind of sex that I am interested in having or find sexy. But secondly, I think that it can also really desensitize you to actual physical intimacy and the kind of sex that I want to have. So I don't really watch porn. That being said, I don't judge anyone who does. And if there is a way to make it so that your sex life is still fulfilling, good for you. I'd love to hear more from people about that. Porn addiction, though, is 
a real problem. Again, it's taboo and it's not like guys come up to me and are like, oh yeah, I'm addicted to porn. But I know a lot of men specifically who have porn addictions and it really impacts their life. Your boyfriend needs to take care of that himself. It sounds like you are really concerned about this situation. And as much as it does impact you, you need to take care of yourself and he needs to take care of himself. And I don't know if he is in denial about his addiction, but if you as his partner are coming to him and saying, I see all these issues and these really like negative side effects of that are related to this, I think he needs to listen to you and he needs to go to therapy and seek help. And that is not your responsibility. But I imagine that being with somebody who has all the things you described is probably really hard. And I really think you should take care of yourself. And, you know, you can be with him while he's dealing with this issue, but I think it's really important he addresses it. I think this is such a big topic that it's just going to have to be its own episode. But thank you so much for bringing this to me and to sharing your story and look for the Emrata Asks. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. There's also a brand new Talkback episode out now. We'll see you back here Tuesday with our interview with Nelly Furtado. Have a great weekend. High Low with Emrata is a Sony Music Entertainment and Bitch Era Media production. Our executive producers are me, Emily Ratajkowski, Matt Raz, and Sarita Wesley. Our showrunner is Matt Raz. Our associate producer is Rachel Choder. Today's episode was engineered by Samantha Gatsik with original music by The Crystal Pharaoh.